It's great to be here with you this morning. If we have not had the chance to meet yet, my name is Hannah Bowersox, and I'm the pastor of discipleship and one of the worship pastors here at Sea Road. And happy third Sunday of Advent. Christmas is right around the corner. This is our, if we have a picture up here, hopefully it came through, our 2019 um, Christmas tree. <laughs> it's our eighth married Christmas together, and I have never been so disappointed <laughs> and joyful in a Christmas tree before. If you have ever been around toddlers or you may have them in your own house, you know that you can't quite fill the tree to the fullness because they snatch with their sneaky little fingers as soon as you put them on. So I did not plan on having our tree look like this this year. I tried every tactic under the sun to get his little sneaky hands from away from the ornaments, but it didn't work, and that's okay. As, as, I, as much as I want to have the world around me be as aesthetically pleasing as I hope sometimes, having our tree look like this this year is a constant reminder to me of the amazing life we've been given. A life filled with a sneaky, crazy, smart little toddler who can hide things so well that I can't replace the ornaments even if I wanted to. He's a whole human being. He has a personality of his own. This half-decorated, half-desolate Christmas tree, to me, is a reminder of one of the very first memories I had of him being in our lives. One morning, waking up with him as a newborn, I remember telling Justin that I had the epiphany that the same feeling I had with Henry was the same I felt every Christmas morning, except for times about 10,000 or a million. I remember like it was yesterday, waking up and feeling that feeling and knowing in my heart that it would be like this every morning to come. The anticipation of seeing his sweet little face, the mystery of what that day would hold, although it's not really a mystery in those early days, it's a lot of blowouts and spit up takes and outfit changes, the joy I felt to be a part of his life. Having Hank the Tank is my little boy, it's like having Christmas morning every morning. And I vowed in my heart that no matter how long or hard the days of parenting would be, I would always try to have this mentality toward my children, one of thankfulness and awe, the feeling of waking up on Christmas Day. As a new parent, though, I was completely unqualified. Unqualified for a life that went from being part of an equal and loving relationship between two adults to adding a new addition and sacrificing anything and everything for them. I had never been a parent before. I had never been in labor or birthed a baby before. I had never breastfed before or experienced any of the physical symptoms of being a parent. Justin and I were both completely unqualified for the job. See, I think a lot of us, maybe even all of us, still feel unqualified in one way or another. I think we all have insecurities that hold us back from recognizing and then embracing the big plans God has for our lives. Have you ever felt unqualified for something? Maybe you've felt insecure when it comes to your intellect or the school experiences that you've, you've had or you haven't had to have. Maybe you've felt like you haven't measured up physically and in one way or another you still remember being the last pick in gym class and you can't quite overcome that memory. Maybe you sing off key or maybe you're in a load of debt. Maybe you just got a job that you feel completely overwhelmed by, totally unqualified for, or you refuse to go after a job because you just do not feel like you deserve it. Maybe you feel unqualified in your role as a parent or as a community member or even in this own church. 
maybe in your home, your career, even in your own dreams. You're not alone if you've felt this way. In fact, today, we get to talk about one of the most unqualified characters in all of history, Mary, the Virgin Mother of Jesus. Now, it's perfect timing that I'm this pregnant and talking about Mary, about to give birth. Let's hope nothing freaky happens today, especially when we do the baptisms later. <laughs> but let's talk about unqualified. Mary was at most 14 years old, at most, marrying at least a man 15 years her senior. She lived in an uber-patriarchal society where women had very little say, power, and worth. Even in her Jewish heritage where people knew the Old Testament, they knew about this personal and loving God that made all people equal. That's not the world she lived in at all. Mary, being a woman in her day and age, would experience separation during her menstrual cycle. The concept of her duties being only in the household and pumping out as many children as she could. The humble knowledge that she would never marry for love, but she would marry someone she was set up with instead, who was years, possibly decades, older than her. Mary, from her own people's eyes, was completely unqualified from being one of the biggest characters God would choose to use, simply because she was a woman. And from her culture's eyes, she was unqualified because she was unmarried and having a baby out of wedlock. And whether or not people believed that she was still a virgin, it didn't matter. From every angle, she was unqualified to the rest of the world. You know, it was funny during that time as a new parent, when I felt completely unqualified, overwhelmed to carry and deliver and take care of a new life. Somewhere I realized it was like a switch that for lack of a better term, I was already pre-qualified by God. That God had given me gifts and abilities, instincts and passion and nurture, experiences, even physical attributes that would allow me to live into that destiny he created me for. In the eyes of God, Mary was also pre-qualified. She was even overqualified because God saw her heart and the only ingredient he wanted from her was her willingness to be used by him. So today we're reading out of the Gospel of Luke. We find ourselves in the middle of chapter one right after Mary's cousin Elizabeth finds out she is pregnant after dealing with infertility her entire life. At this time, Elizabeth was a very old woman when her and her husband Zachariah found out the good news. Most scholars agree that it was no accident that the author, Luke, purposely wanted those stories interwoven. Elizabeth and Mary's impending birth stories connected to show us that there's, there's more than one reason why. Not only was Elizabeth about to give birth to John the Baptist, who was Jesus' cousin and ultimately paved the way for Jesus' future ministry, but the Bible also doesn't shy away from her being another example of a prominent character who struggles with the shame associated with infertility in her culture, only to later be blessed by God in amazing ways. Like Elizabeth, Mary also would experience cultural shame from her community. Commentator Emerson Powery says, childness is not crucial to Mary's story, but shame is, showing us that even though Elizabeth and Mary's cultural shame would be different, both would turn out to unfold into most miraculous stories of what God can do, interweaving themes of shame and grace, favor and miracles. So today we pick up in this part of the story and Mary is being greeted by an angel. We're in Luke chapter 1, 26 through 38. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth, to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. 
The virgin's name was Mary, and he came to her and said, Greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was perplexed by his words and pondered what sort of greeting this might be. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And now you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of David, the throne of his ancestor David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever. In his kingdom there will be no end. Mary said to the angel, How can this be since I am a virgin? The angel said to her, Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be holy. He will be called the Son of God. And now your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived of a son. And this is the sixth month for her who said who was said to be barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. Then Mary said, here am I, the servant of the Lord. Let it be with me according to your word. Then the angel departed from her. In those days, Mary set out and went with haste to Judean town in the hill country, where she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the child leapt in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit and exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why has this happened to me that the mother of my Lord would come to me? For as soon as I heard the sound of your greeting, the child in my womb leapt for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her by the Lord. And right after this conversation happens, Mary responds to Elizabeth's encouraging greeting with praise and joy in what was later named the Magnificat. We see Mary immediately worshiping God for the gift of being seen and known and chosen by him. We're going to revisit that section a little later. I love the, the concepts in the song, Mary, Did You Know, that we sang earlier. I think it's really fun thinking about biblical characters on a more personal level. What were they thinking and how were they feeling during this time? Mary, did you know that your baby boy would one day walk on water? Probably she didn't think about that at all. There were probably a lot of concepts in that song that never even came to her mind. I think what it's also fun to think about is what did she actually know? What did she know based on the scripture? So today I want us to focus on her actual responses. And we can have them at our fingertips because they're right there. So as we dive into this story today, maybe we can be thinking how can I learn from Mary's response to the angel and ultimately to God? What can I learn from what she did confidently know and how she ended up fully living that out? So the first thing Mary knew was who she was before she felt favored. Stephen Furtick says, you'll never know, you'll never be capable of becoming, I'm sorry, you'll never be what you're capable of becoming until you understand who you are right now. And before we can understand Mary's incredible response to the angel, we need to understand just how lowly Mary would have been considered by her society, by the world's standards. Not just because of her natural place, but because of the events that would eventually unfold that she didn't really ask for. Commentator Shively Smith highlights her position by focusing on the contrast between Mary and her cousin Zachariah, who was also greeted by an angel a few months earlier but was part of the highly honored priesthood. He says, in contrast, Mary is a young woman who lacks all of the power, positioning, and prestige, prestige associated with Zachariah's position. As a virgin, Mary is a young woman of puberty age who lacks prior sexual activity and is in the period of betrothal, 
Whereas Zachariah is an elder, head of the household, powerful, Mary is one who is young, inexperienced, in between households, and vulnerable. Mary was very aware of her position, which is why her first response to the angel's greeting was to be perplexed by his words and ponder what they meant. The angel reassures her not to be afraid and gives more details on what would happen, but then her response is, how can this be? I'm still a virgin. Mary knew her whole story. She knew her place in the world, her actions and her intentions, and she wasn't sure how all of that fell in line with this intricate and beautiful plan this angel was telling her about. It didn't stop her from hearing him out. It didn't stop her from trying to piece it together with her limited imagination. It didn't stop her ultimately from choosing to trust God's big plans for her. She knew that by the world's standards, she would be unqualified for this role. And yet, at the same time, this heavenly being was standing right in front of her, telling her the exact opposite. So what are you disqualifying yourself from today? What do you hear God asking of you that you're just too afraid to answer? Number two, Mary knew she was favored and she was qualified by God. Stephen Furtick also says, humility is stepping into your destiny based not on who you are, or what you can do, but what he, who God is and what he can do through you. And John Acuff says, where the world sees failure, God sees future. Next time you feel unqualified to be used by God, remember this, he tends to recruit from the pit and not the pedestal. Mary didn't rely on the approval of the world around her. If she did, she would have been immediately disqualified or unqualified. So instead, she saw only the approval of her heavenly father, and she knew he was the one that would ultimately qualify her. And connecting this point to number one, Mary knowing her place in the world, we find the angel's reassurance of Mary being favored by God is so much more potent because she already knew who she was. She already knew her place in the world. Caroline Lewis says it like this, it is no small thing to be regarded, to be favored, especially when you are exceedingly aware that you shouldn't be. Mary was very aware that she should not be favored, but she decided to trust what God had to say about her anyway. Carol McLeod, an author of a devotional series, says it like this, Christmas for Mary was the challenge of understanding what the favor of God is truly about. Mary was about to learn that being highly favored by God does not mean a life of unbroken happiness, or does it promise that all of your dreams will come true? This is a there is a tremendous price to be paid by those who are highly favored by God. Favor means simply that God is willing to use you. God is willing to use the young, the uneducated, the inexperienced in his grand plan for humanity. Just as the favor of God targeted the womb of Mary, the favor of God is targeting everyone and anyone who is willing to be part of God's strategy at this historical juncture. Christmas for Mary was about discovering the intimacy of the Lord's presence as never before. No longer was God a mere concept of a divine being who never engaged himself in the affairs of everyday life. Because of Gabriel's message, the presence of God himself had invaded the life of this young girl. Do you truly believe you are favored? Do you believe that you are pre-qualified by God, that he is willing to use you, that he wants to use you? Chuck Swindoll says, yes, you may feel unqualified, uneducated, 
untrained, undergifted, and even unworthy, yet those are excellent qualifications for God to do a mighty work. Number three, Mary knew that God was with her in all of the future highs and lows. Mary's decision to accept the call of God was not an easy one, though in that very short section, it seems that her response was very automatic. Her decision was filled with weight and uncertainty, excitement, and a lot of fear. She might not have known the extent of what she was being asked to do, but she did know the implications from knowing the scriptures that following God is not always easy. I love this section from commentator Caroline Lewis, and she really helps put it in perspective. And take your time because it's a big one, but it is filled with so much goodness. Any sermon on this text worth its weight will somehow create, expand, and eventually resolve to a certain extent and as much as theologically possible the tension between how can this be and let it be with me according to your word. It will move us from the absence of God to the presence of God to the fulfillment of the promises of God. To collapse, here I am, too quickly into our idealistic notions of answering God's call reduces Mary to a simply a pawn in some sort of divine play that further marginalizes her. She goes on to say, somehow, some way, a sermon on this text will negotiate the radical transformation in only three short verses, from peasant girl to prophet, from Mary to mother of God, from denial to discipleship. In a very real way, this is the appropriate transition from Advent to Christmas. Mary's story moves all of us from who we think we are to what God has called us to be, from observant believer to confessing apostle. Moreover, remarkably impossibly, Mary's story demands that we all acknowledge the very transformation of God. It is no small journey to go from our comfortable perceptions of God to God in a manger, vulnerable, helpless, independent, yet this is the promise of Christmas. There's a lot to unpack. If you want that quote from me later, go ahead and email me and I will send it right to you. But somehow Mary in those three short verses was confident that the same God she believed in, who gave her this special greeting of encouragement and purpose, was the same God who had always been there and would always be there for her. In the best and the hardest moments in her life, in all of the highs and lows to come. Number four, Mary knew true joy and how to share it. I love that we were talking about joy today in the kids program, I didn't even know that. But I think one of my favorite, all-time um, favorite things to talk about is Christmas. You can ask anyone that knows me really well. I am pretty Christmas-obsessed, and I have a few friends that rival that obsession. I've gotten Justin pretty close to that. <laughs> Not quite there yet. I remember one time we lived, when we lived in Nashville, my drummer, our drummer and I were just, we'd talk about Christmas starting in the beginning of October. We'd talk about all the things that made us super giddy, the things, our favorite Christmas goodies, and what our families would do on Christmas Eve, and when our families would cut down the tree. Mine never cut them down soon enough, just to have them. <laughs> and things like our favorite movies and our, our favorite things to do. I could literally talk till I'm blue in the face about this absolutely magical time of year. When the snow is falling and the music is filling the air and the aromas fill your, your senses, hot cocoa and cookies, and maybe ending the day with a Hallmark movie or two. There seems to be no truly better no time of year. 
But just because I love both the biblical and the cultural aspects of Christmas, for those of you who are now concerned for your pastor, I of course know what Christmas is all about. The Buckeyes and the stockings. No, I get <laughs> we cannot forget the real meaning of the season, this Advent season coming up. We can't forget the cliche phrase, reason for the season. I want to revisit the passage and read about Mary's last initial response to the angel's good news, picking up in verse 46. This is Mary's song to God. And Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked with favor on the lowliness of his servant. Surely from now on all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me, and holy is his name. His mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, according to the promise he made to our ancestors, to Abraham and his descendants forever. And Mary remained with Elizabeth for about three months and then returned home. Justin and I like to ask each other for sermon illustrations all the time, one of the best parts of being a ministry couple, I suppose, especially when one of you has a really bad memory. <laughs> this time, like all the rest, I just threw it out there. Hey, Just, can you think of any fun stories about Christmas or maybe some serious stories about not feeling qualified, etc.? By the way, there are way too many to count. Sometimes the issue is just narrowing them down, not choosing them to begin with. Just a little backstage glimpse at ser sermon writing for you. Anyway, Justin was like, I don't know, maybe you should tell them how every year you force me to open up all my Christmas gifts early. And I was like, okay, we'll do that because that's the freshest on my mind. So I need to know who in this room is just as impatient as I am. Does that, any hands? Oh man, you guys, are you kidding me? I'm so embarrassed. No one's impatient. Okay, thank you. Okay, guys, thank you. So now I'm even more nervous about the next couple of questions because that was a very low response. <laughs> so who else really is obsessed with gift giving? Anyone? Okay, different hands, all right. So now here's the third, the, the whammy here. So does anyone combine those two and have an absolutely impossible time not getting their presents back in September and forcing their families to open all their gifts way before it's time? Okay, anyone? All right, I got one. Thanks for the moral support. That's amazing. So I feel a little bit weirder, but thank you for um, the response. It is such a challenge for me every single year. The anticipation feels similarly, maybe very similar, to the desperate need of using the washroom on your car trip. You notice I said washroom? Pretty Canadian, eh? <laughs> <laughs> But you need to use the washroom on a car trip, and the next rest stop is 50 miles away. So you know you either need to pull on the side of the road, or you might slowly die from the internal pressure. It's kind of like that. I get so excited for the whole Christmas season. The pressure builds and builds. The gifts come in from Amazon. They get wrapped, and they get named. Travel plans are solidified. The Buckeyes and fudge and sweets of all kind fill the house with their aromas. It's just so hard not to give in. So year after year, Justin and I look at each other at some point in the season, after all of our gifts have come in, and we just give each other the look. You know, like, the look that says, I know it's only December 15th, 
but I think today is the day. <laughs> the look that says Hannah might burst if she has to keep these presents a secret any longer. So we decide to have our family Christmas, our little one. We do things with family on the, on the real day. Our family Christmas is completely impromptu every year. A random unplanned day of the week. Somewhere on the calendar leading up to Christmas and we just go ham. We get cozy, we play the Christmas music, we eat the sweets, we rip open our presents from each other as fast as we can. And this is just a side note. Yesterday was almost the day. Justin pressured me like crazy, and I was thinking, I have a sermon tomorrow that's going to say we hadn't done it yet, so I can't, I can't blow it. <laughs> Thanks for the accountability without even realizing it. So the, I'm just going to put that in his court. It wasn't me this year. <laughs> I think every year, for some reason, I find it hilarious to tell my dad about this because his reaction is just priceless. He gets so disturbed by the whole concept. I don't think he really likes that my self-control is so limited. <laughs> He's fun and spontaneous too, but this Christmas rule is just one he cannot break, and he just thinks no one else should. I say all of this to say I love presents. No, I'm just kidding, but throwing that out there in case, wink, wink. But <laughs> I really say that what does this anticipation, joy, and excitement remind you of? That feeling of immediacy. I need to get the word out now. I need to go tell it on the mountain. The gospel right? Isn't this the way we should all feel all the time about the greatest present in all of history? But it isn't how we always feel, is it? It's not always on the forefront of our minds. It's not always sneaking into our dreams. It's not always keeping us awake at night with the excitement, the anticipation of sharing the good news that very next day with someone. Mary's Magnificat should be our lifestyle, her answer to Elizabeth was praise to God. She didn't fully know what was coming or what to expect from this dramatic and thrilling call, but she did know that the God of the universe called her to it, so it must be good. The joy we have as Christians should be contagious. It should be liberating. It should be powerful. So imagine if the world around us saw this joy. What would it look like? If Mary decided to accept every piece of mission or good news from God with a song of praise and excitement and anticipation, imagine if we all did that, no matter the expensiveness of the call or the impossibility of what God was calling us to. What if we responded with this type of unshakable and contagious joy? So are you living with that unshakable joy? How would that change the world around us if you were, if I was, if all of us were able to live with this uncontainable, I can't wait for Christmas day type of joy? How are you willing to be used by God this season? We have exactly 10 days left until Christmas day. That's plenty of time to get to work. Plenty of time to bring some hope to the hopeless. Plenty of time to invite friends to come out on Christmas Eve to experience that same amazement we get to have every year, to invite people into the presence of the greatest miracle of all time, a baby born not only to dwell among us and be Emmanuel, God with us, but to die for us and rise again for us. Once we get real with who we are and where we are at, we can start to mentally embrace God's favor, 
his never-ending presence in our lives. To live into that favor, we must be willing to share our infectious Christmas and year-round joy with others. Here's the ultimate challenge this week. Invite one person who would not normally come to Christmas Eve. See what happens. Let's allow the affirmations we've heard from Scripture today draw us into doing something about it. Today we are about to celebrate three to four, not determined quite yet, baptisms in the second service. And when we do this, we all participate in heaven's celebration together. These four bold people recognize that God favors them in front of all of us. That God wants to use them, that God loves them, and they're literally shouting it from the mountaintops in the form of getting dunked in front of their church family. May we follow their example and take the next steps we need to in our walk with Jesus. May we humbly and boldly accept that God loves us and favors us and wants to use us.